reading from the first book of Samuel. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. This is the word of the Lord. second reading is from Colossians. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Every year the parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travellers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favour. 
This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. The beginning of December, my husband and I had the wonderful opportunity to go and hear Matt Redman and Rend Collective in a performance at a church in Camberwell Green. Well, my husband had won the tickets in a competition on Premier Christian Radio, hence our trip to Camberwell Green. Well, with two and a half thousand people, I was transfixed by all I could see and hear. I could see talented musicians playing and singing in a blur of lights and in some cases jumping up and down on the stage as they praised Jesus. What I noticed, though, was a number of people spent a lot of the concert playing with their phones when holding them aloft to record this magnificent event. Why would anyone think squeezing this experience into a mobile phone to watch later on on a tiny screen and to listen to one tiny speaker was worth the sacrifice of missing the explosion of it all actually happening in real life? Could it be that it is to do with our obsession with possessions? We like things to be ours. We like to own stuff. I well remember the excitement of opening Christmas presents as a child with my sister. And part of the thrill was collecting all the new gifts together and then looking at them and thinking, this is mine. And that really felt good. Well, the people who left the performance in Camberwell had a tangible record of where they had been, had the satisfaction of possessing a version of that concert. It was theirs to watch and listen to, maybe even to share whenever they liked. Well, there are great dangers with our obsession with possession. One of the reasons why relationships and marriages fail is that we can easily see love as a commodity, something we can possess that will make us happy and fulfilled. Love can be easy to attain, but difficult to sustain. When loving someone gets hard and complicated, we slip too easily into Marks and Spencer's mode and look for an exchange or our money back, because this loving relationship isn't making me feel the way I want it to make me feel. My investment in it doesn't seem to be returning enough happy ever after, so I'll go in search of some different love, which will give me what I want. Well, love is not a commodity. Love is a constantly moving exchange of giving and receiving, sacrificing and accepting. Love is never fulfilled or never complete. If we get love right, we don't end up in a nirvana of happiness and self-fulfillment. If we get love right, we live every day in the midst of a constant exchange of support, energy, empathy, sympathy and compassion, which will enable those who love each other to share both the joys and the sorrows, the successes and the failures, the disappointments and the successes of everyday real life. Well, in his letter, 
to the church in Colossae, the Apostle Paul mentions five virtues to creating such an atmosphere of love. He speaks of putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And as we go through life, we're going to find times when these virtues are going to be difficult to live out because we are going to find some people who simply rub us up the wrong way. Some people are just going to be difficult for us to deal with. I find this very challenging when I get calls on the telephone that I don't want, what I call the spam calls. I have to really stop and think how I respond. (laughs) Well, maybe there are people who have done something to hurt us, or maybe they can continually do things that hurt us, or or maybe they don't do anything specific, but there's something about them that just gets under our skin. Do me a favor, just raise your hand if you have never had a person who rubbed you up the wrong way. Well, I don't see hands raised and mine is not either. Yes, we've all had those times, haven't we? when people rub us up the wrong way, and we've all had to deal with difficult people. We've all had people we want to look at and say, do I have to put up with you? Believe it or not, there will be times when we find that we rub someone up else up the wrong way and that we might be a difficult person for someone else. It's two ways, isn't it? Well, since we know that these situations will occur throughout our lives, let us look at how we can help to defuse difficult situations because God wants us to live together in unity. And in Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17, shows us how to put up with difficult folks. First of all, Paul writes that we must be willing to take the high road. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Paul is is reminding us who we are. We are God's people, dearly loved by him and expected to live holy lives. This is our identity. It is who we are. And this should determine how we act. When we relate to other people, we should say to ourselves, I don't know where this person is spiritually, but I know where I'm supposed to be in my spiritual life and my attitudes and actions are going to reflect that. If others want to stir up trouble or cause friction, we don't have to try to get even. We can take the high road to solving the conflict. Taking the high road is a lot easier to do when we remember that we're not perfect either. We've all made some mistakes and we know what it is like to need forgiveness. And that's why St. Paul said, forgive as the Lord forgave you. A story I read of a couple who were having problems in their marriage. The husband was fed up with his wife and ready to leave and he had many well-documented reasons for wanting to go. And as a last resort, he he decided to try a counselling session. 
During the session, the husband gave the counsellor a list of reasons why he couldn't go on in the marriage. Well, after a few minutes of this, the counsellor said to him, so what is your contribution to the problems in this marriage? The husband looked at the counsellor and said, my contribution? Yes, what have you done to make things more difficult for her? Well, after some thought, he said, I'm not very patient. Yes, but what else? Well, I have a temper and I yell sometimes. I promise to take her out. And the wife spoke up. Well, he doesn't always do what he said he's going to do. And they went through this for several minutes until the counsellor finally reviewed the list and said to the husband, and you're talking about leaving her? I can't believe she hasn't left you. I know this can happen either way round. I'm not only talking about the man. Suddenly a new element had been added to the mix. It was humility. Their marriage was saved when they each began to take the high road and forgive one another as Christ had forgiven each of them. That's what it means to take the high road. Show others the same mercy that you have been shown by Christ. But does this mean we sweep conflict under the carpet and never deal with it? No, of course not. But it means that we don't resort to name-calling and hostility with those who don't agree with us. When dealing with difficult people, people we would rather not have to deal with, when having to put up with folks we would rather not have to put up with, We need to take the high road and not contribute to the problem. Secondly, our actions are more important than our feelings. Have you ever been ready to go out in the morning, opened the front door and been hit by a blast of winter air and realised you won't make it to wherever you're going without freezing? So what do you do? Well, you probably go back inside the house and grab a sweater or a coat. You clothe yourself accordingly. Paul wrote that we're to do the same thing in our personal relationships. He wrote, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He used the phrase, clothe yourselves, because sometimes we have to cover our feelings by putting on the right behaviour. Our feelings may be sending us in one direction emotionally, but we can clothe ourselves with attitudes and behaviour that move us in the right direction. Speaking out a load of hostile, angry, mean, resentful words at someone is not going to help. It is not going to make us a better person. It's not going to make them a better person either. And it won't improve our relationship. Just because we feel something doesn't mean we have to say it. and We don't have to let our feelings control our actions. Does this mean we sweep conflict with others under the carpet? No, of course not. It means that when we deal with conflict, what we say or do should be done in the spirit of love. And we should ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? Also, another good question to ask ourselves is, 
what would Jesus say? We need to make sure our conversation is filled with words that lift people up instead of tearing them down. St. Paul wrote, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. He is saying, include Christ in every conversation. Ask yourself, what would Jesus say? I don't know whether any of you make New Year's resolutions or whether you do or don't. Perhaps as Christians, we could start the new year by saying, we will try and carry out those words of Paul from Colossians. And in say a couple of months' time, evaluate whether our relationships with one another have become deeper and whether we have become more like Christ. Amen.